You're listening to Retail Disrupted, a podcast that explores the latest industry developments and the trends that will shape how we shop in the future. I'm your host, Natalie Berg. Hello, and welcome back to Retail Disrupted. Today's episode is part of a special collaboration with the Richmond Retail and E-Commerce Directors Forum. Throughout the month of February, we are bringing three of our fantastic retail speakers onto the podcast to give you a glimpse of what we'll be discussing on the day. The event is taking place on the 18th of April at the Belfry, and I will be your chair for the day. If you are listening to this episode and you are a retailer, I have a few complimentary passes still available. So if you want to join us, you can drop me an email or send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter, and I will be putting these links in the show notes. Now, for today's show, I am thrilled to welcome Chris Brown. Chris is a self-described retail obsessive and was involved from the very beginning of Ted Baker in 1988. He headed up the retail team for over 30 years as the company's global retail director, where he successfully expanded the brand into the US, Canada, Asia, Europe, and the Middle East. During this time, Chris was responsible for many aspects of Ted's unique style of retail, such as moving windows, gifts with purchase, and exciting design-led stores. He's considered to be one of the leading lights of the drive to create retail theater, and I am thrilled to have him here with us today. Chris, welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful to have you here on the show. Today, we're going to be talking about retail and artificial intelligence. AI is the hottest topic in retail right now. And in April, you'll be joining a panel discussing all of this and more. So it's brilliant to have you here today to get a little sneak preview. Now, a lot of our listeners will know you from your time at Ted Baker as their global retail director but you've pursued a number of different ventures since leaving the business. So maybe you can kick us off with a few words about what you're working on these days and how AI fits into some of the work that you're doing. Absolutely, yeah. So nice to meet you and and speak to the listeners and the viewers, Natalie. I get a chance to speak about one of my passions. So effectively, when I left Ted Baker, I I thought I'd have a year of doing nothing or maybe even the rest of my life. Um, But actually, within two weeks, I started getting busy uh, working with various um, interesting projects, one of which was um, uh, Advent International, which is private equity group uh, looking at buying and selling, uh, particularly buying and acquiring uh, retail brands. So I did six major projects for them, which was incredibly exciting. Uh, I'm still retained by them, but there's nothing happening in that sphere at the moment. Um, I also worked for the government and for a large logistics firm on an incredibly exciting future retail project, um, which I can't tell you too much about because it still may may happen. Uh, that was actually working with a slightly discredited quasi quarting the business secretary uh, and government offices and, and people and indeed uh, councils around the, the country. And that was about reviving the high street, creating the first true hybrid um, online offline store um, and mer- merging the online and offline worlds in a really a tr- a truly original and clever way. Um, the costs of doing so currently at the moment uh, prohibit progression but that may come back online at some point so I did that for about a year that was very exciting and then I do a range of uh, advisory work for um, independent startups I've got some small investments I've got an investment in jellydrops.com which I'll just shamelessly name drop 
because it's a fabulous product, hydrating sweets for the elderly. Um, I helped to get the business off the ground. It's five years old now. And anyone that's got an elderly patient parent with dementia, I just urge you go to jellydrops.com and buy, buy the sweets. It's, it's for the, the greater good. And then I have my own brand, which I, I shouldn't miss. I, I, I created a brand called Kit London, uh, which I've been working on for three years. It's trading quite nicely. Um, but we're probably planning to pivot away from it. Uh, got some better ideas about how to, uh, to, to maximize sales there. So we're going to change that slightly. I'm also writing a book called Choose Happy, um, which I'm about halfway through, hopefully for release later this year. Uh, my, my life, not in retail particularly, just my life generally and tips for happiness for, for everyone out there. Um, and I think I've covered about half of what I, I'm up to. I'm also working hard on potentially getting a big role out in Saudi Arabia on the big, big ticket uh, um, projects that the Saudi government are working on. Uh, one in particular, um, but there's two or three that I've got my eye on. I'm actually going out to Saudi again early next week to chase up those opportunities. So that's wow, probably enough sound, for a five-minute intro. <laughs> you sound very busy, Chris. I mean, do you sleep? <laughs> Um, no, that's too busy. too busy to sleep. Too busy to sleep. No, well, I appreciate you then yeah. taking the time to be here today. Um, that's great. So we're going to jump right into our conversation about AI. And I want to get your thoughts on the benefits of AI, because we hear a lot about the risks. And that's everything from displacing jobs to kind of wiping out humanity, right? So this is a real sort of spectrum. Yeah. Um, but AI is also doing a lot of good. It's making retailers leaner, smarter, more efficient. And on the customer side, it's kind of getting us closer to that holy grail of hyper-personalization. And so I'm personally really excited to see how that progresses. Um, I think every day we seem to be discovering more and more use cases for AI. But I'm curious to know, what do you see as the biggest benefit that AI can provide for retailers? What are the big opportunities with AI? I think there's, there's, there's one huge opportunity, which it seems like, I like the way you introduced that because the risks seems to be the thing that so many retailers I've spoken to and the people in my network that I've spoken to, they're focusing on the risk too much and not enough on the benefits. So the risk, absolutely, you could say that jobs are at risk, or you could say, which is what I prefer to say, that jobs are enhanced. So people's jobs where they currently, I'll give you one, one really good example. If you're a merchandiser currently working in any of the, the you know, the, the largest scale British retailers, world retailers, you're, you have quite a task to stay on top of the demands with your, on your e-commerce, on your website and all your channels to constantly update the, you know, when, when a customer searches for something, most people have a manual, a manual input to then say you may also like or shop the look and they control that and they think that's the best way to do it. Actually, you can you can automate that process. You can then tweak the process. A human hand can come in and overlay on top. So you automate the process for thousands of products, and you offer five five products and maybe five looks, five additional items on top of that. You got to do that. So you know, a thousand items ends up being ten thousand inputs to try to stay on top of it. And you need to stay on top of that weekly. You may not change it weekly, but you stay on top of it. If you can automate the basic process. And then just go overlay and and decide, is that what I wanted it to be? Yes, it is. Most of the time it will be. You can leave it alone. So you'd say, choose a pink dress. Here's five other items from our range that might, you might be interested in. The other colorway in the, the style of the dress, another pink dress, two, two red dresses that aren't so dissimilar, and a pink print dress. Why would you not do that? And I, I've, I can give you chapter and verse on brands I've spoken to who've seen me demonstrate that that benefit to them. 
And honestly, they've still said no. <laughs> and, and why why they say why? no is fear. Yeah. So it's going, well, it's fear. It's a fear. Oh, well, well, my team do that. Your team will then have time to do other great jobs, such as analyzing sales, analyzing product, analyzing the worst sellers, analyzing why that store sold none and that sold, store sold 10. And, or that location sold 10, or why the customer in a particular town is shopping heavily for a particular item. So that fear should be turned into, into opportunity, and that's the way to think about it. So that's just one example. If you go into ChatGPT or any of the rest of other contenders and you start thinking about text, oh, my God, why would you not use an automated ability to produce copy? So for your newsletters, for your, you know, for your emails to customers, which is time consuming and a bit boring internally. And everyone listening to this, if they're a retailer, will know it's boring. And some of the, and some of the social media generation on a daily basis, we all see it. We almost switch it off. They've, you know, it's, 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 it's Thursday. Think about the weekend. I mean, so what? Whereas if you go and use chat GPT or versions of, you can effectively say, give me something fresh and you can prompt it to give you something fresh and interesting to say about the upcoming weekend. And you'll get 20 different opportunities. And then you can look at that, take what they've suggested, and then the human hand again can turn it into something interesting. So fear should, fear should absolutely be replaced by use it as a tool. Use visual AI as an additional great tool. And I would actually argue if we all used it correctly, um, retail would do better and there'd be more jobs. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think it is, it's such a leap though, isn't it? It's that fear, as you say, and of just doing things differently and also letting go of control and handing it over to this sort of thing that is evolving so rapidly and we're all struggling to get our heads around. So I can understand the hesitation, but um, you know, you, you touched on visual AI and I'm conscious that some of our listeners may not be too familiar with this term. So can you just sort of give a brief overview of what visual AI is and then how it can improve a brand's website? So so you've touched on the the shop the look and i think that that especially in fashion retail is is really powerful getting that right um but i just wonder you know maybe are there any other examples that you might be able to share yeah absolutely so so i mean it has it has numerous uses the two or three that i would focus on and i focus on um, which are more interesting to me as a, as a commercial retailer you know i ran the stores and and, and oversaw and worked with the e-commerce teams uh, and so therefore worked on all the channels but you know the, the bricks and mortar the e-commerce were my two big focuses um absolutely so where visual ai can help so the first thing is it can automate that process as i said it can automate you you're you're, you're searching for an item you will surface more of the correct items using visual AI than you will by doing it manually. And you'll update it. You'll, you, can, you can teach it to, oh, you know, we have a new item of stock coming in. We want to surface that to the customer immediately as opposed to it potentially getting missed by the team. You know, they're busy doing other things. A piece of stock arrives on a Thursday, goes out to the stores, goes live online. They don't particularly pick up on that. So it might get missed from their manual input. So the system can be automated to say new stock automatically, as soon as it's put on the system, it automatically is then registered. So you've got two benefits there. The thing that we don't do in the West, we don't do in the, you know, in North America, we don't do it in Europe, the UK, we don't do it, which is huge in Asia, which is where um, Vicens is based out in Singapore, um, is actually photoshopping. So actually taking a photograph of an item, I'll just you know, demonstrate here. You know, if I take a photo of that glass, I like that glass. It's a nice glass. If I take a photo of it in Lens, which is a, an application in the phone that Viasense provide, it will immediately give me a Google search style list of locations to buy the buy the the item in. That cuts out error. So let's say I'm searching for this blue shirt. 
I've got to describe the blue shirt to find it online. If I take a photo of it, the visual, visual search will find exactly that shirt. And I've tried it out. I haven't yet managed to defeat it. It finds the exact <laughs> item you've taken a photo of. It has millions of wow. images embedded in it. Now, in China, they, I've, I've been working, I worked in China over 10 years ago and for several years. In China, Japan, the Far East, that is normal to shop that way. And I think the stats show it's something like 65% people use visual search over word search. In the West, and you know, and the West and some less sophisticated parts, parts of the East, we still use word search and we can't find the thing that we want. I mean, if you ask the average guy, search for a blue jacket, they don't know the individual name of that jacket, whether it's a sports jacket or a Harrington or, or, or a, you know, a, a workwear jacket or a chore jacket. They'll put blue jacket in and they'll have to wade through loads and loads of blue jackets that get presented to them. And I should add that ASOS have used Vicense on their app. So they're one of the few British re retailers to have embraced it. And I believe it hasn't gone live on their main website yet, but it should do. But you've got to change behaviours to use the That's tech it. correctly. And in, in the West, we just don't use it. I've, I've shown people, you can, you can download Google Lens. You can try it after this call uh, if you'd like to, Natalie. Download Google Lens and start photographing. Just take photos in Google Lens of items on your desk or around your home and you're going to be amazed you're going oh wow I, I, that's a, a vase that's got a crack in it i'd like a new one take a photo of that vase google lens will go and find you where to where that vase is available to buy you won't have to find wow. the website or within the website find the item it'll find the item and it will my prediction is a year or two from now we'll all be using visual, visual search to shop because we'll suddenly think well why how, how why why didn't we use it and on top of that for influencers, this is going to be amazing. Influence, influencers can walk the streets wearing an outfit. I, I predicted this years ago. It hasn't happened yet. It happens in Japan. You can actually just go up and down the street 20 times in 20 different outfits. People can photograph you. You can geotag the item that they're being photographed on. The influencer gets paid by the brand because their photo has been taken and has led to sales. And the person taking the photo of the person wearing the outfit can shop the item immediately. So you'll end up with this weird hybrid of real-time influencers walking the streets. That will become the new way of modeling and making money. Wow. <laughs> uh, there's other brands. I didn't, I didn't really get to say to you I've, I've at the beginning, I've worked with so many interesting startups from companies that do sizing applications to one called Me Spoke in America, which still hasn't hit big yet, where they can geotag all of us. So if you just post on Instagram or social media, if someone likes what you're wearing and, and clicks on it, they'll be able to shop that item. And if it's Ralph Lauren or it's Karen Millen or it's Ted Baker or whoever it is, they will see that that's you and you'll get a credit, usually probably in the form of loyalty points. But if you're really good and you get lots of people loving your stuff, you'll get paid by them. That hasn't happened yet, but it, but it, it could happen in the future. So I, I'm fascinated wow. by all the applications that are out there, all trying to get a little piece of the pie. So I'm getting off the subject yeah. of visual AI here. Visual AI, visual AI has, a, has a rival in America site, S-Y-T-E. Those are the two big ones. And I think there's some others, like smaller players in the market. And there will be, I am sure, that Google, you know, Meta, um, uh, uh, X with Elon Musk, they'll all be looking to have their own versions and their own use of the, of the tech. So, so why do you think it hasn't I'm, taken I'm off? Is it, do you think it hasn't taken off stupidity. because it, it's a... Stupid. I was going to say a cultural difference, but stupidity sounds like a no, better answer. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, and I say that that sounds like I'm just being very rude. I'm not. It's 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 a stupid burying our heads in the sand approach that unfortunately the the West thinks it. The West does believe it's ahead of Asia. Now everyone I speak to goes, "Oh no, no, I know that China's ahead." Well, if you know that they're ahead, 
Why are you resistant to this newness coming into your business? In most cases, you can you can trial it. You know, you can you can have a, a free trial. You can just test it out. You can see you know uh, see if it works. See if it's uh, appropriate for your customers. We were very good at that, at Ted Baker. You know, something that, that that Ray and I and others in the team we we would say you've got something new to show us. Come into the office, have lunch, meet the team, show us. I can tell you legions of people that have met me since uh, I left the company who said, oh, no, Ted Baker used to give brands a chance. That was one of the hidden secrets of our success. I've tried to get into so many of the brands, UK brands and American brands. They're resistant. They're, their gatekeepers don't let you in. And I don't understand it because surely the whole point of being one of the, the governors of British retail is, is in the UK and the US retail is to say, what's the new? Show me the new. Show me what's happening. Let me test it out. Give me a free trial. We were big enough at Ted Baker to say, we're not paying for a trial. You come and do it at your cost. Proof of concept. If it works, we'll take it on. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I heard about Hero the other day, which is a product that I helped to launch in Ted Baker just before I left. Hero and that's has gone the, on that's to the great, app that great connects. Are they the, this is the app that Connection connects online store shoppers store. within store stuff. Yeah, that's. I thought that yes. was a really interesting concept. I thought, and I didn't know this, but, you know, Ray had invested in the company and he actually said to the guy, just see what my guys do when you contact them. I said to the guy, can you come? He phoned me up. I said, can you come in tomorrow? Come in tomorrow. And he said to me, you're the first British retailer who's just said, come in tomorrow. I've got one or two appointments. Everyone else has been difficult. I went, why would I be difficult? Sounds great. Sounds like a great idea. Let's trial it. So we trialed it. And I heard that he's exited at some multi-million multiple and has opened a new business called Bloom. I can't give you a shameless plug for oh. Bloom because I don't know much about it yet. But that's his next app, which I was going to, I heard about it on the cruise last week. It's so fascinating hearing you speak because, um, and, and really refreshing to hear from a retailer's perspective, that openness and that willingness to embrace innovation and also fail fast, right? It's this idea that yes. we're going to try yeah. it. We're going to see, you know, see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, we move on. So um, I guess that kind of brings me to the next uh, question, which is, just around your thoughts on UK retail right now, because this is a sector that is always evolving. It's always changing. It's always disrupting or being disrupted. And there's a lot happening. But um, I know it's a big question, but what are your thoughts on the state of retail right now? And, and I probably know the answer to this based on what you've just said, but what advice do you have for retailers operating in this climate? Absolutely. So, um, I'm frustrated by it, as you can probably gather from some of the earlier comments. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not calling people stupid. I'm just saying there's a sort of a barrier of stupidity that stops them from learning. You've got to get out there and learn, but you've also got to look at what you've currently got and make the absolute best use of it. So the stat last time I looked at it was that 75% of all goods are still sold in stores. So this idea that the Internet has taken over, yes, it's taken a huge slice of it. But it's, what do you mean? it's a funny, funny phrase, isn't it? It hasn't taken it. It's expanded it. You know, we have more ways to buy more things than we ever did before. And we can buy through social media channels by clicking a button. We can buy through apps by clicking a button. You know, it's, so, so it's evolving into a, a different way of, of commerce where more things are sold on more devices in more situations. But what most brands have done, from my perception, and this will offend a few uh, retailers out there who think they're still doing a great job, but we can all say it. We can all go say, let's go shopping tomorrow you'll get a pretty poor experience in the stores. There's generally speaking been a, a, an abandoning of the stores. It's all about e-commerce. It's all about my other channels. It's all about, you know, influencers and influencers selling and so on. It's not. It's about that as well. 
And you need to make certain that your store still delivers brilliance in the in, in the stores. You know, I look at my old business, Ted Baker, and the heart's been taken out of it, is my view. You know, you look at it now, it's 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 dumbed down in size, but they're not the only ones. Most of so so many stores that they, they let that store go and then they closed or they they didn't need to close. They needed to show the stores some love and show the stores some passion. Now it might be you need to run slightly leaner operations and leaner leaner teams because the foot flow is not what it was ten years ago, but there's still an awful lot of foot flow. You know, I go out to, I live near Brighton. If I go into Brighton on a Saturday, you have to get there early to get a parking space. You know, everyone is out having coffee and going to the stores and buying things. You know, you get it right, Zara. I'll give a shout out to the White Company. That's an example of someone who actually runs their stores brilliantly. You know, that's that's the way to go. The White Company knows that the store experience is absolutely vital to that shopper. They sell a premium product. The customer wants to get more than just the item. They want to have feel they're part of almost like a wider community. So all these words that people bandy around, and as I say, I'm going to offend a few people. They're going to say, oh, we do that. No, you don't. You go to those stores and that you don't deliver the experience that you claim in the boardroom. So focus on your stores just as much as you focus on your e-com, if not more, because that's where the, the people intensity, intensity comes from. You, know, you need well-trained teams. So that's a sort of moan. Uh, more positively, and this is positive because of what's happened, I think there's been a big shakeout. You know, we haven't lost many brands that people loved. You know, the brands, the brands that have gone in the last, you know, five to ten years are all brands that had lost their past their sell-by date. They weren't delivering what the shopper wanted. Um, and then my extra positive future thought is, and it's happening. I'd like to think that some of the the disruptive online uh, uh, only companies, such as Gymshark, who've opened a fabulous store on Regent Street. They will start to realize that a brand isn't just its online persona. It has to have it has to have a face. And you can give that face by opening a brilliant, innovative store on the high street. So I do still feel positive that we'll end up with a leaner, meaner, but more entertaining, fun high street. And I'm I'm still hopeful that it'll be full of great independence, smaller brands that may end up one day becoming big brands, and then there'll be an excitement about shopping again. I mean I had someone say to me the other day, oh, you know, you're an old school bricks and mortar guy. No, I'm not. <laughs> bricks and mortar is now and it's the future still. You know, 100 years from now, we'll still have leisure shopping. We'll still have places to go. And I believe that they'll be even more exciting. This period now is a sort of downtime when it all it's all readjusting. But don't abandon it. That's my, is my absolute message to everybody. Go back to your stores and go, well, how could I make this store exciting? I've got one last thought for you on that, Natalie. And this is a, another little annoyance about how to use tech and new tech ideas correctly. I don't know, seven, eight years ago, maybe a bit more, I'm not sure. But iPads, iPad selling, if you want to call it that, came in. So every uh, sales assistant was enabled with an iPad. And then a lot of them abandoned it very, very quickly. They abandoned it because either they didn't have the Wi-Fi at all or they didn't have Wi-Fi installed correctly, or it was glitchy, or they didn't do any training. They just handed out the iPads to the store teams. What I did, we did a similar thing. We had a slightly failed first attempt. But then when we looked at it and said, how can we make certain that using an iPad actually resonates with the customer, that it is an additional benefit, and it fits into what we're also doing? So we said, hide the iPads, first of all. Don't come out with an iPad in your hand. It immediately feels like a robot serving you. But when the shopper's like, oh, you don't have that in a size three, or oh, I really need it for Saturday, and then you click into gear, I can get that for you from one of our places, and I can get it tomorrow, either delivered here or to your home address. Seems old news now. But I spoke to retailers in the year or two after iPads first came in, and the, the attitude was, oh, you still, I see you're still bothering with iPads in the stores. We took them out. They didn't work. They were useless. They didn't. No, you need to find out what it is about it 
is wrong, what's not working, and then find out a way to make it work. And currently we've got an issue online, we've got an issue with all the sizing apps. Customers aren't really using them. And I'm going to blame women here. It's not sexist. Women, it's a stat thing. Women will go, I want two dresses and two colorways. So they'll order four dresses and keep one. So you've got a 75% returns rate or 100% returns rate. The sizing apps don't solve that because customers go, oh, I don't know that brand. Now, it might work over time. I believe it will work eventually because it's no good to you to have to take an item back and deliver it, you know, send it, send it back through some uh, 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 logistics firm. And it's definitely not good for the brands to keep receiving stock back because more stock has to be made, more stock has to be held, and more stock's out in the ether not being used correctly. So sizing is currently the thing that we haven't solved, I would say, and, and getting sizing yeah. right. There's lots of great sizing apps. I've had people sell them to me. This one does 2,000 metrics. This one does only three, but it's accurate. This one gives you a, a try-on-at-home facility. Unfortunately, we're human beings, and we say, I want to see the stock. I want to hold the stock in my hands. I want to put it on my body. I want to see if my body works with that piece of stock. So that's not been sold, I don't think, by anybody yet. And hopefully somebody listening to this might say, oh, yeah, I've got the app that solves that. But at the moment, it's a no. Yeah, that's that's a perennial problem in retail, fashion retail in particular. And as you say, it's not just sizing, but it's fit, it's texture, it's there. You know, there's so many different yeah. aspects. And um, yeah, I agree. I think whoever solves that problem is uh, will be <laughs> can happily cash in it's because it's I think the one thing that yeah. just we haven't figured out yet. And I think it is holding shoppers yeah. back from buying online, or it's creating headaches, as you say, for retailers because there is that buy to try mentality where you order four and send three back, and that's just the way that we shop. And yeah. you know, it, I mean, it'd be interesting, Chris, just to hear your thoughts around, um, it, I guess, just briefly around how retailers are kind of you know, it's it's a little bit of carrot and stick now where some retailers are now charging shoppers for returns yeah. and but not charging them to return the product in store to drive people back to the store and maybe, you know, buy some more products while they're there. So I don't know, how how do you think we can potentially solve this uh this challenge of returns? I do think I do think that that you know some of those what you mentioned there some of that might work in terms of you know there's an incentive that it doesn't cost you so much money and so on. I think unfortunately customers are quite brutal and they'll say, well, I won't buy from you then if you're going to charge me to return it. So that might not work. I think there's cleverer ways mm -hmm. of doing it. I think you could you could actually offer loyalty points. You could offer um, uh, future discounts. You could uh, offer credit. You could incentivize that way rather than it being a blunt instrument of it costing you more money. Um, so I think I think a little bit more intelligence around how that how that how that works. Um, so that's one thing. The future retail project that I was alluding to that very much worked on the idea that if we create a brilliant environment on the high street, you will prefer to have your goods sent there. Because, you know, if you're a working person, you're not always at home. Obviously, a lot of us are at home now. But if you're not at home, you have to go to a place of work. Missing your delivery or not being happy to have it left. I mean, I've got a place here where they can leave it quite easily. But if you live on a busy street in London and there's no safe place to put your goods, you might prefer to go to a venue. Well, if you make that venue an experience, a really great experience with, you know, a coffee shop or a chance to eat a snack, a fabulous dressing room, but you can try the three, four dresses on, you can give the three back that you don't want, and they go back into stock for the for the brand much more quickly. That's what we were working on, and the whole point of it wasn't about really the store experience. So, well, like, what, that was part of it. The bigger part of it was this is what the bigger brands want: ASOS, Boohoo, you know, John Lewis. Um, but, but they don't want their stock 
you know, on a van somewhere. And I don't know if you know this, but the average time for that stock to get back from consumers, it's not one or two days, especially with the advent of Klarna and, and, and pay, pay, you know, buy now, pay later uh, things. Customers don't care. They'll keep, it, they'll keep it lying on the bed for a week. So the average, the average returns time ends up being nine days. So that costs, the, you know, the bigger brands, it could be 20% of their inventory isn't available to sell. So our whole our whole plan was to create this way of buying. It wouldn't have been for everybody, but we we estimated thirty percent of people would prefer. They already prefer shopping like that, as in uh, picking up in store, giving them a great store to pick up in with a great experience uh, and speed as well. So we'd do it more, much more quickly. We also had eco benefits planned as well that you'd have uh, external. Um, locations where the larger stock could go, electric vehicles would bring it to the location, uh, the central location, and you'd have a huge positive impact on the environment. So we were working on all sorts. I was the retail lead on the project, and we were working on all sorts. Of, I still believe there'll be a version of that somewhere, you know, somewhere a bit further down the line. But we'll have to wait and see. Oh, that's so fascinating. And I, I have to say, I have had similar thoughts around why can't we encourage shoppers to do the right thing that helps, you know, both the environment and the retailer's bottom line, whether that's encouraged, you know, rewarding them for returning items quicker or, yes. um, I don't know, I think retailers can get really creative with that. So, um, Chris, it's been so fascinating to speak to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. And I'm really looking forward to continuing the conversation in April. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you for listening to Retail Disrupted. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please leave a rating or review or share it with others. It really makes a difference.